0: Ah! (laughs) Welcome to the student of the game fire podcast with your host Danny B. Today's guest is Chris Tennyson, 22 years of career fire service experience, currently battalion chief of training with the Somerville Fire and Rescue in South Carolina. I honestly could say many different positive things about this interview, but I'm going to keep it short and simple. It is a must listen from every rank of the fire service. With that, I present Mr. Chris Tennyson. Hey, I'm Chris Tennyson.
1: I'm the battalion chief of training here in Somerville, South Carolina. I'm the chief of training for Somerville Fire Rescue, a little further inland up the interstate from Charleston, as what most people know around me. I got in the fire service in kind of a in a weird way. I actually had a huge passion for history teaching. And I started off going to college to be a history professor and and work in that line. Then I kind of realized as I was taking my baseline education classes, my English comp, all that stuff that I really was meant for more of a physical job. So my advisor at the time in college was a fire chief of a neighboring organization and he encouraged me to sit in on a couple fire classes. And I said, well, I've never really thought about it. I'm not like a third generation, fourth generation firefighter, huge military background in my family, but I'm type one diabetic. So that kind of went by the wayside. So I said, well, I'll, I'll give it a shot. And I fell in love as soon as I sat in, they were, uh, they were doing training on the old 2.2 elephant trunk and, and, uh, Yeah. Yeah. Just I was so intrigued by the equipment and, you know, how they had to move with all the gear and the weight and how challenging it was. They let me try it on. And so from that point on, I was hooked. Uh, I I was infatuated with the fire service and, and what it did. And it really brought that sense of giving back to me that my family had done for my whole life, you know, via the military. Well, I figured, I guess if I can't do military, this is the next best thing. And and so I was hooked and I changed my major, graduated college uh, for fire science. And uh, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: I've been very blessed. My career has has given me lots of tragedies and positives throughout my career to mold me into somebody that I feel is an asset, not a liability to the fire service. Uh, But I wasn't always that way.
0: (laughs) Okay, Understood. understood. Okay, all right. Um, for those that don't know, can you tell us a little bit about Somerville, the size, uh, uh, call volume, things of that nature?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We're a, we are a we are just in the process of opening our sixth station. So okay. the way we operate, we now will have six engines and two tillers. Uh, no heavy rescues yet, something we're looking at for the future, uh, future progression of the organization. I foresee for sure we're going to have another station opened up within the next few years. We are a rapidly growing area. Uh, those that don't know on average in the Charleston area, we have 40 to 50 families that move to the area per day. Wow. So, and that's the whole low country, not just the town of Somerville. Okay. Um, but uh, you know, and I wish I was a little bit better at my demographic Somerville is, is known as a tourist town. So we do have busy seasons and slow seasons. We have lots of festivals and things like that that go on uh, any given weekend. So, you know, our, our, our population varies drastically,
0: okay. uh, but
1: yeah, okay. we're, we're a pretty busy department. We run upwards of six to 8,000 calls per year right now. And uh, that's kind of a relative term. I know that because I used to run 3000 calls just off of my engine at Charleston. Right. But right. we don't run basic EMS calls. So we only run like Charlie Delta echo response medical calls. So for gotcha. that, that much call volume for not running the, for lack of a better term, BS medical calls. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, we, we stay just busy enough. And uh, if we, our fire duty isn't huge, but what's interesting about our district is all three counties converge in the town of Somerville. So we, we cover Charleston County, Berkeley County, and Dorchester County. So what's really neat about us is, yes, if we were to only protect the town of Somerville, we'd be a very bored fire department. Uh, but we actually get involved with structure fires that happen in the entire tri-county area. Uh, So we neighbor city of North Charleston, you know, and and Dorchester County fire agencies, Berkeley County fire agencies, which is mainly volunteer in that area. So we actually get sent out to help out with other fires pretty significantly. So our fire duties, you know, keeps them, keeps them intrigued, keeps them busy.
0: (laughs) Right. Right. And I can imagine you said that you only run, like Charlie Delta Echo calls. So if you were to run everything EMS based, your call volume would definitely. Um,
1: yeah, we'd be ten ten thousand calls a year for okay. six stations. Yeah.
0: yeah okay. Yeah. Okay. um Are you guys ALS or BLS?
1: We are BLS. Yep, EMT basics on our rigs, okay. with the potential for future of some ALS stuff. We just started a paramedic program where we will pay right now. We're only allowing one student per year. So we're still in the infancy phases of doing the EMS side of things. And, uh, it's important to us that we focus, that we are, we are a fire department, not that the medical stuff isn't important. I think right. it's very important. However, you know how it is, you know, we, we got a squad up and running now and it's a morale killer because people that are on shift want to run their fire truck. They don't want to ride the squad and run the EMS calls. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. we we try to keep that balance
0: <laughs> okay no and that's very important especially nowadays because that is that is a big deter for some for individuals looking to go into the fire services what do you guys run ems like what's your what's your ratio on it so I, I totally understand um as far as staffing what's your minimum staffing on your apparatus
1: so minimum staffing for us is four on the trucks three on the engines
0: okay
1: yeah and that's pretty much our world uh Rarely we'll have four on an engine, uh, especially with opening a new station and everything. But we we keep four on our ladder trucks because we do a split crew. So, okay,
0: okay, All right. All right. Um, In your opinion, what does the term aggressive mean to you?
1: So it's funny when I first saw the list of questions and, and that was a question that really it's intrigued me for years and I always go revert back to, I don't know if you ever read chief Rhodes article on aggressiveness.
0: Go back. If you get
1: an opportunity, it's, I uh-huh. think it's something along the lines of you're dang right. We're aggressive or yeah, we call ourselves aggressive.
0: Okay.
1: And it goes into different types of aggressive and uh, we see it. I've seen it more as a training chief. There are absolutely different types of aggressive because I've got, you know, for lack of better term, I've got the dumb aggressive guys, which are, you know, hard chargers. They will, they're not scared to fight fire, but there's no strategy. There's no planning to the, anything. They just are kind of boasting their chest in the fact that they're not scared to fight fire. And that's okay. what I kind of refer to as the, you know, non-dynamic, non-smart, more of a dumb aggressive, which, Hey, you know, <laughs> there's there's a time and place for that too sometimes where we just need right right. (laughs) we need the grunt the grunts to do the work Uh, however the goal especially for me as a training chief is i want the dynamic smart aggressive firefighters i want the firefighters that when they say that they're aggressive they understand the meaning behind that right because there is several interpretations of that term aggressive and Mm -hmm. uh, again chief Rhodes said it all in that article and uh, and um I actually last week reread it knowing that I was going to get this question. So this doesn't come from me, but it's a belief that I've always tried to live by is, you know, we we as aggressive firefighters will never be able to completely take out the risk involved of firefighting. But in honing in on our craft, in training, educating ourselves, staying fit, making the right life decisions, we can absolutely be smart, aggressive firefighters by reducing the risk that we face and taking more calculated decisions on a fire ground for the communities that we serve. And that's that's kind of my approach to aggressiveness. Um, we actually are in the process of doing big changes like that here in Somerville. Okay. You know, gone are the days of being told everything of what to do. I want my red helmets to be aggressive. I want my red helmet, which is a captain in our agency to make the call to make an smart, aggressive push And at the very least, if they make the effort and they get pushed back and they have to back up and punt and kind of refigure things out, so be it. But I do not want to have to push somebody in. If I have to push somebody in, that means they're either not educated, they're not trained up, they're not in shape, right? There's lots of reasons that are avoidable and absolutely on them as to why they are not doing the right thing to be
0: smart, aggressive firefighters. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Um, no, that was, that was well put. It really was. And and I like the fact that you're, you're not holding or your organization, you're not, they're they're not holding your officers to, to an SOG, to an SOP, you know, on on a leash, like you're giving them the latitude, the leeway to make decisions as officers. I mean, because they're in that position to do that. They're not being micromanaged.
1: Right. Right. And it's, We always talk about, you know, trying to develop captains to, you know, have difficult conversations, make difficult choices and, and to individualize how they approach their firefighters. But yet too often we see the managers do blanket things such as a policy or a procedure because one bad thing happened or because somebody fucked up on a fire. So now everyone's going to pay the price, right? That's the easy button. Right. Managers need to do the same. And when those individuals don't make right decisions, based off of, you know, and it has to be a pretty egregious thing. Okay. Mm -hmm,
0: mm -hmm. A lot of
1: times this can be a conversation because we all know what works great at one fire or maybe even eight fires. This may not be the fire where this is going to work good. Right. And so maybe an officer makes a decision to do that and it doesn't work out well. Well, then we have a conversation with them and say, look, you know, I get where your head's at. You know, what's your thought process? Okay, great. We have the conversation because it didn't work on this fire. Right. And as long as that doesn't become a pattern, that's where it ends as a conversation. All too often, managers, they don't lay the hammer down and hold people accountable. They hide behind a blanket procedure and and policy. And that's the wrong thing to do.
0: No, you're right. That's that's spot on. I mean, and and yeah, I, I don't know the reason why. I don't know if it's because maybe they don't have enough experience or knowledge in that in that particular area, but that seems to be a thing to do. I mean, perfect example here recently, um, I'm not sure if you saw, of course, with all the late Baltimore's had a increasingly oh, yeah. difficult year, to say the least. And I remember going through social media two weeks ago and I saw a new format, a new SOG stating for row homes, they cannot enter. Uh, there, there was like certain checkboxes that needed to be right. met. And I it saw much, the <laughs> Yeah, and it kind of like took away from the officer to make that decision, and I'm like, this is going to be a problem because instead of, and, and I get it, Baltimore's had an increase, of that, that terrible year, but Baltimore is going to do what Baltimore does, you know, right? And, and the guys that work for Baltimore who are dialed in, know these are the risks,
1: right. I agree. And I, and I think a lot of it, and, and I don't say that, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm a chief. I get it. Like, I, I feel it comes from a place of sincere care for the members on the floor. It doesn't come from a place of not wanting them to do be firefighters. It comes from a place of their ultimate responsibility is to make sure everyone goes home, mm-hmm. right? And I, I guess I feel like maybe the best use of all the chiefs underneath the head fire chief isn't being done because if everyone knows the mission and understands what culture is being built in that organization and buys in you leave it up to those chiefs all the way down to the bcs down to the captains right if that trickle effect happens effectively then you don't have to revert back to the policies the blanket policies of you know listen we're not going in or you know hey this is what you have to do and say after the sofa superstore fire at Charleston fire department, we created robots. We were told what to say, how to say it. We actually had a list, a paragraph of something we had to say for every time we did a size up of a structure. So when you arrived on scene, you had a laminated sheet and you would fill in blanks based off of address and things like that. But overall you were told what to say. Right. right. And, Then we were told, you know, primary line, backup line has to be in place before primary line can make a push and and everything else. Right. Which at that point in time, it was needed for a while. It was right because you you had you had to kind of rein everything in. But then we got to a point where that was it. That was the only thing that we were going to do. Right. So now we took the thought process and decision making out of the officer. But yet we get mad at them when they can't make effective fire ground decisions in a split second. We haven't trained them to do that anymore. We have trained them to be robots, right? I rem- I still hear to this day on the radio, our, our fourth due is usually writ. Okay. Well, if a fire, if an incident commander calls and says, hey, fourth do, I um, I know what you're supposed to do, but I need you to go ahead and do this or you know, go to report to the Charlie side or pick up another line and be fire attack, I'll actually hear the rebuttal on the radio. No, chief, we're writ. It's, it's like, guys, it's come, on. Right. come on, right. we have to be adaptable to what the building and the fire is telling us. If we can't be adaptable and, and make those decisions quick, we're not doing the citizens any justice. We're not doing ourselves any justice. So now what you've seen a lot more, especially in our area, including Charleston Fire Department, a great organization, we're getting back to developing leaders and officers to make decisions with the understanding that they will be held accountable if things go wrong. But that's a responsibility that the officers have wanted the whole time
0: mm-hmm. no you're right you're right a- at least most i would say at least <laughs> most uh most uh firemen who actually care yes they want to be given that leeway to make that decision or else what's the point of having officers I, so I, I i totally agree i totally agree with you um next question do you believe, should there be a years of clause, should there be a years of service clause for promotion?
1: This is tricky. <laughs> in my heart of hearts, absolutely. Uh, I, whole, I wholeheartedly agree with t- time and service. I agree with experience. I agree with being a senior man. Unfortunately, especially in my world and our organization, we are a rapidly growing organization i actually just did this big project for uh, fire instructor three i took it up in north carolina actually i went okay. and took it up there i can't remember where i was at uh, anyway i took it at one of the colleges up there pretty amazing north carolina is very blessed as far as the programs that they offer by the way i don't know if you guys are aware of how fortunate you are
0: <laughs> uh, I, you know and the funny thing is not trying to take you off topic but Uh, Jason Genitas said the same thing when he was comparing South Carolina, North Carolina, how North Carolina is kind of up there. And and he's trying to get South Carolina to that level as far as classes and training and things of that nature.
1: Yeah. I was, I was floored AB tech out of outside Asheville. That's where I was at. And I went and took the, the fire instructor three course, which isn't even recognized in South Carolina, by the way. So I went and took it and a few days later I had my certificate. And I was just floored because for us, we don't, we don't get to issue our own IFSAC certs and North Carolina can actually issue their own stuff. So, you know, they're accredited to do that. And I thought that was pretty neat because I'd normally be waiting 45, 60 days to, you know, before I could get the result or look up on my transcript. Okay. But going back to that, sorry to get off topic. I did a thing on, on a program called LED, which is leadership and effective decision making. And what it is, it's a two week, I call it a fight camp for our officers that we're going to implement at Somerville because Corley Moore says it best on his slide of, you know, we, we tend to, as soon as you hit officer, all the training goes away, right? Like you're just expected to go off and do great things because you got a gold badge. Mm -hmm. And, And if you don't seek out that training on your own, you're pretty much left high and dry by your organization. And I'm ashamed to say it, but I've been a training chief for going on seven years here. And I absolutely have done that. And it's imperative in our organization that we don't do that, which is very similar to what a lot of organizations are going through. I have three to five year guys that are acting officers on my trucks. I have maybe five year that are already at the rank of captain. Right. Right. And it's not because they're not intelligent. They are, man, they are jam up individuals, but what they lack, which gives us that punker factor on a fire ground is they lack the fireground experience to back up that, that gold badge. Right. Mm-hmm. But I'll be honest with you. I've got a lot of individuals too, that maybe have that fireground experience and it's still their first day on the job every day they show up. So I'll be honest with you. That's where the time on the job is, is really about the individual. It's not just time in service. Right. Okay. Right. right. <laughs> um, And again, you have to take that and hold that individual accountable and and so on. But I'm stuck in a position now where I have to do all I can to be as effective as I can with their training and preparation to make those quick judgment calls and know that we're going to have bumps in the road and know that, especially on that first handful of fires, they're going to maybe make some wrong calls or maybe the IC and the other chiefs on our fire scene because we're blessed. We put at least three, three chiefs on a scene. Okay. maybe they kind of just shadow that captain a little more closely on a fire ground. Right. So that's the world that we live in, where I've got somebody will get off probation after six months and they're going to be driving the next day, you know, wow. so they've yeah. only had six months probation and chances are very likely that they didn't have a first due fire in six months, not saying they didn't catch some fire, but it wasn't a first due good right. r- ripper where they went in, you know, and, Some of our officers encounter that. Matter of fact, just the other day we had a structure fire, pretty well-involved structure fire. It was my, it was an acting captain. It was her first first do fire, and it was our driver operator's first first do fire pumping. Only because he's normally a driver on a tiller, he got detailed to an engine.
0: Okay,
1: so he hadn't pumped in God knows how long, and now he's (laughs) pumping a well-involved structure fire, right? Right. So there's so many moving parts to our organization that. As much as I believe in it, the reality is I can't do that. We actually still in our policy have time limits left, you know, in place. So you're not supposed to be a captain before the five to seven year mark in our organization. Right. We prefer seven. Right. But what we have to take away if we take away time is we look back and say, okay, who has been diligent and met the matrix? Mm hmm. Right. And it's not about the classes necessarily, because we all know fire officer wanted to do not teach you to be a good officer. My opening line anytime I teach an officer leadership class is look, this class is not going to teach you how to not be a douchebag. I'm not here to I'm not here to teach you that. Okay. We're going to cover some good baseline material and some foundations of leadership and different leadership styles that you need to adapt and utilize throughout your career but this isn't the place to teach you to not be a douchebag and do the right thing for your people. Yeah, That has to be taught through life. That that was taught from life experiences as a kid. That was Mm -hmm. taught way before I ever showed up in front of you in this classroom.
0: (laughs) No, you're right. I mean, no, you're right. And it's it's a problem I'm sure many departments are facing, no no fault to their own, but especially if you're growing, if you're adding stations, I mean, I've seen some departments uh, and a lot of people always wonder why, but, I can understand why sometimes some departments, when they have an officer's position, open it to the outside. And and a lot of people are like, oh, well, they just that just means that they don't have faith in their people. Not necessarily. It's the fact that maybe their their individuals, their members, are just too young with that to not have that experience. So they open it up to the outside.
1: Absolutely. And we what we see a lot in ours, because we we don't go to the outside. We did it one time for a third driver position and it it kind of backfired on us, but what, what we have to explain to the members is, you know, we get, we'll say we'll have officers and they'll say, well, look, you're lowering the standard for them because maybe I'll say, okay, you have to have fire officer two within a year. Okay. Or I'll, I'll make concessions for a group of individuals so that they can make that rank, right? And what I have to explain to the firefighters and the members is, look, we've got two options. Our department's in a situation where we got two options. In my world, I do not want to bend on any requirements, time, education, none of that, right? But we're faced with we either hire from the outside to someone that already meets the requirements or we trust and develop our own people in-house and, and we get them where they need to be so that we're not going to the outside. They are, I'm not dropping any standard. They will meet the standard but they're just not quite there yet. Maybe they're a two day class short from the matrix and I can do that in house later on down the road or something. Right, right? right. Or, you know, just something, something small to where I'm like, look, I'm not lowering the standard. What I'm doing is I'm making a, a concession so that you guys don't get really upset because then we will go to the outside. Mm-hmm. So we either We either collectively as a team develop our people from within or we go outside, but I'd much rather do it from within. You know, and, yeah. and once you explain that why to the whole organization, that's another whole road we can go down with transparency. But transparency has proven to be much more beneficial through our organization because even the ones that don't like it, at least have an understanding why we're making the decisions we're making. Bingo. But Thank if you, you don't, right if, if you don't give that to the people and you just leave them in the dark, you leave them up to their own thoughts and 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 conversations around that around that firehouse table. And we know how that goes because I've solved the world's problems at that firehouse table several times wondering what in the hell command staff was doing. Mm-hmm. Right. But now that I'm on that side and and we have some great individuals that were like, look, we were left in the dark coming up. Let's not do that to these guys. So now that we're better about doing it and we don't listen, we don't explain everything because right. you know, there's things that we have to pass through council and right. We don't want to say this may happen because that turns into, well, Chief Tennyson said this is how it's going to go down, right? Mm -hmm. So you got to be careful about that. But once we know that things are in in good order and and some processes are coming through, we go ahead and and do shift meetings and explain why and get the feedback, right? Because as a command staff, we've also been proven wrong on a few things that just won't work for Somerville that we've tried out. And you know what the cool part is? Our chief is man enough to say, you know what, guys, I screwed up. That ain't going to work we got to figure something else out instead of being intimidated and pissed off thinking you can't be wrong. (laughs) They admit when they're wrong. I admit when I'm wrong so that at least these guys know, Hey, look, part of progression is screwing up because if I sit comfortable and I don't change the way things are, yeah, chances are I'm not going to screw up because we're just staying the same. Mm -hmm. If
0: we're not screwing up, we're not getting better. So I love it. I love it. I mean, I'm, I'm telling you, you know, I love it because it's the, the fact of the the transparency for your members. That way they're in the loop. And like you said, yes, there are certain, especially when it involves personnel, things of that nature. Of course, I know as an adult, you can't divulge that. But when it comes to anything that directly can change the, the strategy of the department, I think... The Chiefs should be very open to letting their members know, hey, this is what we're doing, especially when it comes to a thing like standards, because that is that is a a very hot topic. And if you explain the why behind it, it would give the individual who's like, wait, what are we doing? And then you tell them this is why we're doing this. It could go a long way. Then instead of now you have rumor mill, a rumor mill, B, these two groups are pissed at each other things of that nature. So a hundred percent, uh, that, that is awesome that Somerville is doing that. Awesome. And
1: hey, we're not perfect by any means. Don't get me wrong. We're a fire department. We got our drama just like right. anybody else. Right. But I will say, you know, I, throughout my career, I've worked for several organizations and none of them were bad, but by far as a, com- this is the best command staff that I've ever worked with and for as, as far as, you know, the job goes. And, uh, it's, it's been amazing. It's, I took this position knowing that with transformational change and leadership, you have to know that all the work and effort that you're putting in, you may never benefit from, but that you hope that long ways down the road that when I come back to Somerville, I, I would be able to look and say, Oh man, that's really great that some of the changes that were made that I was a part of are now here. Well, in Somerville, it's been so crazy that that our members have adapted and overcame so much that within june will be seven years for me here we have already seen leaps and bounds the positive effect that the changes that have been made in the last 12 years give or take of, of the organization because it happened way before i ever got here uh, but it's been amazing to see and i can, i'm looking forward to you know i'll come back after i retire and just see the continued progression of somerville because it, it's it's pretty amazing
0: okay all right I love it. I love it. I love it. Um, for promotion to company officer, are you in favor for a simulated computer fire scenario or a scenario involving real people with real companies in real time?
1: So I got to say, I wasn't too well versed in the real companies, live fire, real time stuff. I've always wanted to do it, but I always felt as a training staff, it was really a, a huge undertaking, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Depending on how
1: many candidates you have. And then you got to, you know, you got to have safeties, the NFPA 1403 stuff and all that. And I always just kind of felt, I'm like, man, I've got this Fire Studio 6 here. I can I can kind of <laughs> do the same thing. But, but what I found is, and I'm not good at video games. I was never a gamer. So when I'm sitting down and looking at a computer screen and trying to think of all the decisions that need to be made, I'm kind of out of my element. Okay. And, and so what we found in our promotional processes is that these individuals get the job done because they study, they had they make themselves sit in front of computer sims and, and kind of go through the motion. But we get way more out of them if we pull up in a rig, even if you do it in a truck bay. We had Chief Rhodes and them come and we did their, uh, their fire ground sims stuff. Okay. So it's still computer based, but it's on a big projector, takes up the whole truck bay. You pull the truck in they dress out, you get out, they bring a hand tool with them, you know, and then and then now that their heart rates up a little bit, they've been dressing out, now they get a fire scene. Okay? And it looks a little bit more real life because it's larger, right? So it's the size of a house and everything. And we actually got a little bit we got a little bit better results out of that. And it was pretty cool because then everyone else even a tailboard firefighter got to sit in the truck bay and watch and mm-hmm. learn from people's different styles of size-ups and what they look at and things like that. However, the downside to, to doing live fire even at a training division is that the building doesn't necessarily respond how we want it to all the time, right? Uh-huh, to make, uh-huh. make some pretty effective decision making. So what we did instead, and it wasn't a promotional process, we just concluded some training where we would do individual company based live fire scenarios where it's just two engines or an engine and a truck, which on a normal structure fire, we do four engines and a truck or and two trucks apologize to both tillers are on our fires. Okay. We could stomp a fire out. We put a lot of bodies in a fire, but what we did now is okay. Now you have to make effective decision-making and do fire attack search and rescue, give the dispatch reports that there's confirmed entrapment unknown how many victims, and then really see how the wheels turn. And what we found is of course in, in the training that I've conducted, which is a fault of mine, all of our fire ground ops training has always been, multiple units on scene. So everyone just sticks to first dues, primary fire attack, second dues, you know, water supply and backup, third dues, writ, fourth dues, Charlie's side, first truck search and rescue, forcible entry, second do truck OV and, and augment anything that the first truck didn't do. So they have this down to a robotic science. Well, then when I leave, leave stuff out now, now people have to make those calls and some people actually screwed up pretty bad on some of the decisions they made when there was nobody else there to help them. Right. Okay. Or maybe realize that their crew wasn't in as good a shape as they thought they were because now they have to drag bodies out and still maintain a fire, right? Uh, Or force entry, then go inside, right? So there's a whole whole bunch of different dynamics you can throw at a crew in a training environment. And it was good for them for a point of self-realization, right? And self-actualization of, oh, wow, this could happen to me. This could be a fire right next to the firehouse, and maybe I need to step my game up. Or, you know, Hey, we need to, we need to probably work on some cardio. Our air management wasn't that great, you know, or what would we do? Because, you know, if we get inundated with victim removal and patient care, I've got to, I've got to call some audibles. Mm
0: -hmm. And what
1: was funny was some guys were scared to leave their nozzle men alone inside the building. So there was some delay in victim removal, you know, and I'm like, well, wait a minute, they've got 200 gallons a minute coming out of that smooth board. Uh, Trust me, they're fine. Like you need to allow them to do what they do. So it was pretty cool to see how people reacted, what they thought. And I think everybody had a great experience from it. Even the ones that didn't do great had a good learning experience from it. So I will say my opinion has changed and I would love us to do more of the, even if it's not live fire necessarily, but even theatrical smoke, Mm -hmm. I can make it come out of certain windows, do certain things and just, do the, do a general grading rubric on decision-making on a fire ground. I would love for us to start moving in that direction. And the cool part is, is nobody's holding me back. It's just myself. So my, my fire chief lets me pretty much do what I want.
0: <laughs> okay. okay. Um, uh, listening. It sounds like Somerville does what I would call uh, PDAs predetermined assignments. Cause you said first, first do always does this second, third, yep. fourth. Okay. Okay. Absolutely. okay. And
1: I, I love it and I hate it. It's it's good because it gives us an overall game plan. But what I don't like is it still holds us back. And unfortunately, some officers will lean on the policy. Uh, for instance, let's do primary line backup line. Right. Drives me crazy. The way our policy reads is, you know, known life hazard. All rules are out of play. I don't know if you have that that blanket statement in your policy about a known life hazard. OK, uh, so known life hazard for us is we know it's a known life hazard or not by going in and searching the structure. Right. 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 So there again, that throws a little bit of a, of a, uh, interpretation, right. Mm-hmm. Which is good for us because I can interpretate our policy to make it work for us, which is awesome. So we have the known life hazard clause, which again, we don't know until we get in and find out, even if it's reported, no one's in, listen, True. not happening. Exactly. Um, our rules kind of state that the backup line is the is the uh, you know we can't make our primary line go in until an IRIC initial rapid intervention crew or our backup line is charged in place and staffed mm-hmm. right Well our organization I already said we're not huge so if we were dealing with multiple calls or inundated or anything like that right We're trying to move towards the idea of, and this isn't policy, all right, we're trying to move towards the idea of, look, if they can go in and it's a room or two in contents and make a push, let the officer be a smart officer and go in and put the damn fire out so that we can wrap up, clean up, and move on with our day. Because we focus so hard on this, you know, nope, backup line's got to be in place. Hit it from the threshold, I get it, knock it back from the exterior, that's fine, but Mm -hmm. listen- we are given thousands upon millions of dollars of really cool equipment to go in and do really good jobs. Why do we have this equipment if we can't use it? Right. So let's let's go in and do our damn job if it's a smart play. I'm not saying floor to ceiling fire out of every room. Right. right. But we got a couple of rooms popping off. Get your ass in there and put it out in the 30 seconds it takes to put it out and and let's do our job, right? I'm not saying the backup line isn't coming. I'm not saying the RIT team isn't coming. We're still going to have 40 bodies on a fire ground within five minutes or less, right? So they're still going to be there. They're still going to be in play. That backup line will absolutely be ready to rock in two minutes or less. But think of how much work you could get done and how much less damage is done in that exactly. two minutes or less. Exactly. You know? Yes. So and I, th- and I think a lot of agencies, unfortunately, are being handcuffed by that policy. But – yes. Again, we, we send ladder companies without a hose line ahead of the hose team to go search a structure, really no matter what the involvement, because truck, our truck crews are given, like, it's not freelancing, but they're given the ultimate opportunity to go in and do what they got to do, no matter the involvement of fire, because the captain of that crew makes the call to go in and search or not.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But yet We're saying the engine crews can't do the same when they got the protection of what? 200 GPMs. Come on, man. <laughs>
0: No, no, I, I have to
1: agree. Um, yeah, and I, I just I, want to I, say a disclosure: this is the personal opinion of Tennyson, not Summerville. <laughs>
0: <funder. laughs> I will say there are a lot of departments handcuffed to these these standards, and and I'm um, everything you said. It's not vacant until we deemed it's vacant. The worst thing, in my opinion, a dispatcher can do is if, if they dispatch a structure fire and then they go caller is reporting everyone out. That's great. How about you? We just not say that because there are some officers who are going to take that and go, oh, all right. They said, no, everyone's out. We don't need to search it. No, it's our job to search it with all the data. And that's the thing. Keyword data coming out. Uh, Not too long ago, I I interviewed uh, Ben Peel from Georgetown, Kentucky. They found a victim in a storage warehouse fire. Like a you know, you know you a, a place right. you rent out to keep all your stuff. in. there was a victim in there. So I hate whenever they use choice words like that, or they hold us to. And you make perfect sense. If you're, if truck companies are allowed to do that with no handline protection, how can, how are we or why are we handcuffing an engine company that has the tool in their hands to put the fire out? Yep. And and like I said, it's all perspective. And I like how you said it. You're saying it's not well involved, not floor to ceiling. But that's another thing to me that also doesn't normally fit in SOPs and SOGs. It's just common sense. Like we shouldn't have to put in there. If it's a room and content fire, then you can proceed. No, leave it. Put put word it somehow where it's like officer's discretion. Correct. That's why we have officers there to make those calls.
1: If they make a bad call, we're going to hold them accountable. And I, and I get the fear. Again, from a chief standpoint, look, I don't want to put I don't want anyone because we know firefighters are macho and everything. But again, that goes back to you drive the culture, of your organization from the from the top down, from the bottom up, right? So it has to be known that the second that happens that someone makes questionable calls to be macho and be stupid, the hammer needs to drop on yes. that individual, not on the department. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You don't need to put some policy out, no more going inside, mm-hmm. right, or anything like that. It needs to be handled quickly with, the, with that individual that made that bad call, knowing it's a bad call, and it's very egregious, right? Absolutely. Our world is gray area. I always say it as an officer and as a chief, but as a red helmet, you could, at one fire, go in, get your guys burnt up, but you make a grab. And you come out and nothing's gonna happen to you. You're gonna get awards, free dinners, right? People dropping stuff at the firehouse. Next fire, your guys go in and get burnt up searching, and you're gonna get the hammer dropped on you as a red helmet because you didn't make a grab that time because there was nobody in and somebody's ears got burnt, right? Or something happened. That's the risk you take, and that's a responsibility you take on as an officer. It's not about the punishments you receive. It's about how you react to the punishments, right? As an officer, I take I take that, I lick my wounds, and I say, hey, guys, yeah, we it, it backfired on us that time. There wasn't a body to grab, but guess what? Hey, behind closed doors, hell of a push, guys. Way to try, and we backed out as soon as we knew it wasn't good. Sorry you got burned a little bit. Part of the job, right? President I'm not saying we should be okay with injuries and burns, but what I am saying is, It can't just be good when we make a grab. If we're making a good judgment call based off of the fact that we're dynamic and smart, aggressive, and some things happen out of our control in that structure, and maybe our ears get crisp a little bit or something small happens, don't drop the hammer on the guy for it. Maybe we have a conversation about, hey, you could have read the building a little better, the fire conditions a little better. It, it just drives me crazy that's that's how this works, you Let's know. But that's a that's a responsibility you take on, you know, as yeah, a captain.
0: Absolutely. Nothing that we do in this field is black and white, it's all gray. I mean, you can have all the policies, procedures, step A, step B, step C, audible A, audible B, audible C, whatever you want to call it, but it's that's not how this like, yeah. It's just not how this field works. And I mean, you have some Chiefs. That are, that are that are adaptable and understanding to that. And then you have some that are like, well, what does it say in this paragraph, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in this policy here? So I, I totally get it 100%, 100%. Um, yeah,
1: I, I wish, and I'll say one last thing. I'm sorry. I wish <clears throat> I was approached when I took over the training chief job here. The fire chief at the time, uh, Chief Richard Waring, amazing fire chief, sat, sat me down and said, all right, Tenny, here's the deal. I'm going to pretty much give you the tools to get the job done and i'm paraphrasing i'm going to give you i'm going to support you 100 but just know that as a training chief i'm going to give you everything you need to get it done but when things go wrong on a fire scene or a fire ground you're going to be responsible for fixing it and i'm going to come to you i'm like i can live with that that's that's a training chief's dream that should be any officer's dream when they get sat down and take that promotion of like look i'm going to give you the tools necessary to be successful but if things go wrong and things get messed up, I'm coming to you.
0: Okay. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're, what we're, else could you ask for? <laughs> we're, we're all adults, right? We know, we know what we're what we're signing up for. If we take this promotion, what that specific role encompasses. So I, I totally agree with you 100 percent Um physical fitness, because you hit on it a couple of times. I know that's big for you. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm by no
1: means a physical specimen. Trust me. I'm probably myself and my counterpart here in the training division. We are definitely ADA compliant. You have, a uh, two type one diabetics. Um, you got a gimpy guy who's got a messed up foot. And then we got another guy who has uh, heart issues from 40 plus years in the fire service. So, <laughs> but that being said, uh, I'm a firm believer that physical training has to be at the forefront. It's, It's kind of a funny thing because in the state uh, of South Carolina, our recruit program and our fast track program gets scoffed at a lot. We actually have individuals that won't put their personnel into our program because of the standard that we keep, uh, because we invite neighboring agencies all the time to participate. And we are known as training Navy SEALs, running boot camp, and this and that. Uh, What I find funny, though, is that, Every single time there's PT going down, because we do an hour, give or take, you mm-hmm. know, during schools and everything. Uh, we do lots of team building. We do lots of fireground PT and all that. But our instructors are involved in the PT. So whatever reps are being done are being done by our PT instructors, myself and Chief Savage in the training division. We're out there as much as we can be. I don't make it out every day, but these guys will know that we will get down and dirty and we will PT just as much actually harder than they will because that's that's the the going joke with us is you know i'm in my mid 40s i better not be out working you so i kind of give them crap whenever i finish the circuit before they do
0: <laughs> right 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 and, like, and there's yes good but but you can't
1: do pt and not be a participant in pt as an instructor like that's just not going to win anything there are days where the recruits have to push me because i have my bad days where i'm not performing well in pt I need them to see that Mm -hmm. it's important to me that they see the human side of us as officers and us as instructors, because if they are only seeing those that hide behind a shield or rank and, and again, with the intimidation of being wrong or fear of being wrong or tired or, or just not performing well, that's not going to go far with them because what's going to happen is you're going to lose credibility because when you hide behind that and then they see how you really are on a fire ground, They're going to call you on your bullshit. Mm -hmm. So I would rather them see me at my bad times and still push through to see me and my mental fortitude and having to grind and get the job done than for them to always think that I'm perfect and I never get tired. Because then when it does happen, that's a huge shock and off factor for them that maybe I'm not as good as they thought I was.
0: No, and you're 100% right. I mean, there's no greater feeling for me when I see an instructor out there in the same gear sweating putting in the work just like the students like to me as a fireman that goes a long way than having an instructor who's wearing uh outside clothing while wearing in turnout gear yelling and screaming at us that you know come on you need to do this you need to do that but it's like well how about you put on some turnout gear and and and, and yep. jo- join the party so I 100 percent agree and the biggest factor for me is the humility aspect. So many chief officers, I gotta, stop, I gotta try to help myself for not saying it. Some chief officers <laughs> out there, some chief officers out there, don't want to show that they make mistakes. Like it's it's really okay. Like you're human, and I, I can say back in my back in my younger years, um, our old fire chief, I was. I don't know. I was just deathly afraid of this man. Like he walks by, you like stand up straight and then, you know, and then you relax after he leaves. And I'm not trying to take away anything from our current fire chief. But as I've gotten older, looking at our current fire chief, I'm like, he puts his pants on the same way I do in the morning. He's a human just like me. He has emotions. He has feelings. And so once I came to realize that it's, it's just one of those things where it's like, Man, you don't have to be fearful of him when you see him. So, like sometimes when I do see him, I'll just I might just be like, "How are you today? How's everything going?" Because yeah, they wear the badge of fire chief that have all the bugles, but it doesn't mean he he can't come in and have a shitty morning. You know, like right. sometimes all, all all he needs is one of his guys to just go, "Hey, chief, how are you?" And that might just change the the whole dynamic of his day. Like, well, shit, these guys these guys actually really do care or at least somebody said hi to me. You know what I'm saying? Like to me, that's just how my mindset works where before I would just be very fearful, but now it's like, well, what's the point of that? Just he, he's human. He bleeds just like I would bleed.
1: Absolutely. Yep. Respect from fear. And sometimes you're right. A lot of it is just the, the traditions, right? Traditions. I mean, we had huge traditions in Charleston where chiefs were, were respected from fear, but not, they didn't know about it. You know, they were very approachable people. They just, it was the traditions within the, within the company and within the department that kind of led to that. But yeah, if, if you are leading by fear and knowingly doing it, you're absolutely wrong. Like they should respect you for the man you are and the man you're trying to be and what you're trying to do for them as, as officers, as firefighters, as brothers, husbands, sons, sisters, you know, what you're trying to do for them as a person. That's what they should respect.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely absolutely
1: but but pt is is huge it's it has to be all right we it are professional athletes yeah paid firefighters are professional freaking athletes and it's funny because teaching recruit schools i have special forces special ops from the military come in all the time and take these courses and and come through recruit school swat members and 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 they will absolutely say i've done a ton of physical things but this is the hardest thing i've ever done you're putting all this gear on me, breathing air. And I got to, I got to put out just like I'm not in gear. Right. And right. I've got to move bodies and I've got to fight fire and I've got to do things. I have been told several times by many people that are high up in military organizations saying this is the hardest thing they've ever done. And, and that's awesome because it's a realization that, yeah, you think it is. We've got guys that didn't even play sports and, and, you know, are successful at this and do these things. Right. right. Um, You know, I remember doing my the the smoke diver programs and everything else. And I'm I'm on a little black box next to prior NFL football players and stuff like that. You know, right. It's really cool because that's what draws people to this job is because it is a physically demanding job. And it's unfortunate when people take it for granted that
0: they that they don't hold themselves to that standard. Absolutely. Absolutely. And to me, to me, the only reason why they continue to do that is just because they haven't had that incident get dispatched yet. So many right. guys, like you said, will take that for granted. We'll sit on the couch. Oh, you know, it's not going to be burning or whatever until it does. And then you're put, you know, you're they're then put in a situation where it's like, They're hurting themselves. They're hurting the crew. They're hurting the community that they say, hey, we will be here for you. Like all it takes is just a little bit of activity. And I'm sure like you, there are days where I don't want to go out and work out. I'm like, I don't want to do this today. But if you continue to allow that mindset to win, then you're not not bettering yourself. You got to sometimes put that little voice that's talking in your head aside, tell them to shut up and just go out there and grind and get it done.
1: Oh, yeah. And, and, and again, we're all human. We hit those peaks and valleys. I've had ruts where I don't work out. I remember when I graduated the, uh, the Georgia program, I didn't work out for literally like four months because I knew I was killing myself for almost a year mm-hmm. to get ready for the program because I had already failed at once. So I knew I was, I needed to succeed. And And I remember just thinking to myself, you know, I am not living up to that standard. I just went through this rigorous whole thing, went through this whole process, and I didn't even pick up on the whole meaning of these programs is, okay, cool, you graduated, you know, and we're actually told. That's the easy part. The hard part now is if you're going to wear that shit, just like I have on my gear, I got the rockers and everything, the guys laugh at me and call it shoulder lettuce, but <laughs> if you're going to have that shit on – uh huh. Even if you're screwing up, you better be screwing up 110%, because if you're half-assing it at the same time, you're not giving them a good name. And I, was, I had to snap out of it. I had to bring myself out of a lull and find something else to train for and continue to have just, again, that finish line never happens. Right. I do not want to finish my career because I'm at the end of my career, and I've seen it happen too many times where, where you look at an individual and you're like, that used to be a jam-up captain, or that firefighter used to be really good. You know, but then as they get closer to retirement, they bow out and fade off into the sunset. Unfortunately, in the last two years of their career, being known as a lazy piece of shit. Right. Hell no. Right? right. My goal is the week before I retire, I'm taking a smoke diver program. I'm doing so. I'm going out on top. I'm going out just as strong, if not stronger, than when I came in, because that should be the overall mission and goal of anybody. Because this is a freaking 20, 30, however long it is to retirement. That's that's that long of a job interview for you. Right. You have never made it. You've got to continue to freaking make it every damn day.
0: Absolutely. Sorry. No, Sorry. no, no. You're good. <laughs> it's, it's, it's good. It's good. I'm saying okay. it's good for people to hear that a hundred percent. This, this, this next question is definitely uh, di- directly uh, correlated to your, to your uh, position. When to say when to a recruit or an individual that's not cutting it. So again, I've, I've, I will honestly say
1: that, I think at times maybe I've made the wrong call about individuals. We approach recruit school as our absolute time for, for them to find out whether this is a good fit for them as an organization and a culture. And also for us to make sure that we're not going to have problems down the road. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, I always laugh because people never take advantage of probationary periods or recruit periods or any of that. Right. You know, they're just, they call it probation period, but we don't hold anybody accountable when they screw up during their probationary period. You know, even with promotions, it's kind of funny. And then when they get off probation, it's like, Oh, now we're stuck with them. No, you're not. (laughs) But anyway, back to the recruit thing, we are very, very big on, you know, promptness, not lying, you know, just trying to, really instill them to be good men and women. The the training stuff comes after the fact, right? My goal is I want you to be a good person to work for this organization, because if you're not a good person that we can trust and rely on, I don't want you here, right? Right. So the lying, the, you know, being late, being lazy, stuff like that, we kind of nip that quick. And I have had times where I've been very quick to respond in a recruit environment. And I will say, unfortunately, I think we've lost a couple good potential candidates because I was too swift. OK, so I will say that to do the job properly, writing that line uh, when to say when there may be times where the wrong call is made. But if you've been too far in one direction or the other, you're, you're bound to create hate and discontent for your organization. Right. Because my job, when they show up. I worry about the product I'm delivering to the other 110 forum members at that point in time early on. Right? right. So my focus has to remain. Yes, I'm here for you. I'm going to show you, I love you. And and sometimes by me showing you, I love you as a recruit means you're going to get a, a hard taste at, at facts. Right. So I will absolutely sit someone down and say, here's my standard. You're not meeting my standard. You better pick your shit up or else you're gone. You know, and and I'm okay with having those difficult conversations with them because I would much rather them know up front why, because it's always funny when I sit down and we have the final meeting. Right. And I'm not talking five attempts. Sometimes sometimes it's one and done. Sometimes it's a couple. But when I sit down. And we cover in depth the moral codes, ethics, and standards of this organization. They actually have to sign a piece of paper stating they have read and studied it. I don't let them turn it in to me until a week or two into the program just to give them ample time. And I sit them down and I say, you know, do you understand what's happening right now? Do you know why? I, it's important to me that you know why this is happening. And and they're, you know, 90% of the time, absolutely, chief. I didn't, I didn't meet the standard. I need to do better. And I've had a handful of guys come back through our recruit school and crush it because they failed on their first attempt.
0: Okay.
1: And and that's what I'm looking for is, I, again, it's not about letting them go. I want to see what kind of person they are and their reaction to letting them go. If they're going to sit and talk shit about us and, you know, blast us on social media that, you know, all we do is PT and, you know, we, we work too hard. I can get paid to do the same thing, eating Cheetos on the couch at another organization or whatever. Those are the individuals that we just know. They're not a good fit for us. Exactly. Fit but if I get the ones that own up to their, their lack uh, of ability or whatever it is, even after the attempts to make sure that we've made sure that they were successful and they come back and, and it should mean something to walk across a stage and get that badge and get pinned. We should not be handing out t shirts. I'm a firm believer in you don't hand out a blue shirt just because you've already got experience. Certification and qualification are two very different things. Mm. And if you don't have to go through some kind of hell to get the job, it's going to be that much easier to walk away from it. So even on a fast track program, experience program, some people don't agree with it. And I get it because for certified guys, it's like, look, I've got a part time gig. I cut grass. I, you know, build houses. I, I do this on the side. I can't afford to take six weeks off to go through another fast track Academy to get a job somewhere else. When I'm already a firefighter, mm-hmm. it's all about what you want. If you're not fulfilled at your organization and another organization will fulfill your need for training fires, whatever it is, you gotta, you gotta be willing to sacrifice what it takes to get where you want to be. Absolutely. But I can't lower the standard and just hand you a blue t-shirt. Cause you got a piece of paper that says, you know how to fight fire.
0: I love it. I do. I love it. I love it. I mean, cause to me at the end of the day, it's all about how bad you want it. That's, that's what it comes down to. How bad you want it. If if you want it that bad, you will put your side hustle on pause to get it done and resume where you left off. Yep. I mean, so I couldn't have said it any better. Um, the last topic uh, I know before we, w- while we were trying to set this up, you said it was very near and dear to you. So I'm gonna let you have the floor on, on, on the mental health aspect that, that you wanted to discuss.
1: Yeah. And I'll try to be brief about it. I know no, this you're is, good.
0: This, you're good. This, you're this good. is, <laughs> this is your, so like I tell all my guests, yes, I had this idea, the notion to come up with this, but anytime I have a guest come on, this is your time. It's your platform. So take however long you need.
1: Yeah. And the mental health thing is just, it, there's so many different directions you can go with it. And, and I'll be honest, mine, my personal side of it stemmed, you know, much like a lot of us from upbringings, childhood, you know, a lot of us in the fire service and and in general as a population, right, broken homes, things like that. Well, coming up for me uh, when I joined the fire service, unfortunately, I had already came into the fire service having a lot of issues with, you know, childhood, past childhood stuff. I was a foster kid, all that and everything. Um, I still have a relationship with both both parents. Unfortunately, my dad passed away last year, but I had a very close relationship with him as an adult uh, later on in life. But I had a huge issue with alcohol uh, for most of my life, actually, and it carried into the fire service. And I've, I was fortunate and lucky a lot of times. Uh, you know, I've never gotten a DUI or anything like that when there was times that I should have, and I made some very bad decisions. And after the fire happened, of course, I, I bottomed out. I did very bad. Uh, I was, uh, you know, drinking all the time. I literally set my drink down to put my uniform on and go to work as a driver. Uh, I put people's lives at risk. Uh, I was not handling my personal shit effectively, and it was carrying over big time. And, mm-hmm. and I hated it because even the guys that worked with me, they loved me and knew. They're like, you know, it was good to hear, man, you're a hell of a firefighter, but you're a fucking mess. Right. Like you're, you're going to throw everything away. The one thing you're good at, you're going to throw it away, you know? And I heard that for a few years and, um, lots of crazy incidents that happened, but one in particular, I worked for Charleston. I just made captain, um, which is a feat in itself because in Charleston fire department, that's, that's a huge deal to be a captain and to be an officer in such an organization where the tra- traditions run deep. And, um, and I threw it all away. I was sent as an outside assessor to Hilton Head. Um, I ended up drinking, perfect storm, my blood sugar bottomed out and everything. Uh, long story short, I was put on admin leave and uh, had some time to think. And I had some chiefs fighting for me, uh, saying, hey, we're going to move you out of, of training. We're going to put you to the outside outlying battalion. You'll be forgot about. Someone else will screw up in a month and, and you'll be good to go. And the whole time I'm on admin leave, I kind of had an idea. I'm like, well, this is the time where they're getting their ducks in a row because it's probably time for me to go or, or at least get my hand slapped. I figured I'd probably get demoted. I had never on paper been in trouble with Charleston fire department. Okay. Uh, only positive accolades in my file, n- nothing wrong. Not saying that I wasn't a jerk. Cause again, I made lots of wrong decisions. I just never got caught. Right. <laughs> right. And, uh, I sat down with the fire chief at the time we were in the hallway before we went in the room. And she said, you know, I can't thank you enough for all the hard work you do. You, you really deliver a good product to Charleston as far as the recruit schools. And you know, all this stuff was taught to me by others. I can't take credit for it, but I just followed a program that, that I was heavily involved in developing and and we created a good product. And then she sat me down and passed over some paperwork and it was my separation paperwork. And she gave me an option to, to quit. She said, you can resign um, or you can be terminated. And I was so hard headed at the time because I was using the diabetes as an excuse. You know, no, it was my blood sugar. That was part of it. It wasn't the alcohol and I wasn't driving or anything. And I was using technicalities left and right. Technically, I was off shift. They put me out sick, this and that and the other thing. So I thought, you know what? No. And she said, do you ever want to be in the fire service in the area again? And i said well yeah i don't know anything else and uh, she said then you need to resign and i fought it again and i i went all the way through the process of a grievance i hired a lawyer the cheapest lawyer i could find it's kind of like toilet paper don't buy the cheap shit yeah don't <laughs> don't save money on a lawyer i should have went all out and i didn't <laughs> uh, so i had my grievance hearing and it was a very hard process so i i went thinking I would have guns blazing. Uh, There was other instances with other personnel in the organization that was far worse than mine and much less of a punishment. So Mm -hmm. I'm thinking, oh, I'm good. And then I came to realize I can't be that guy. In the grievance hearing, I can't be that guy that brings up issues of other people and make their dirty laundry known. Right. Right. I can't do that because I could never put my face in the fire stations again. So I definitely opted out of that. And it was funny because I remember specifically being asked the question, don't you agree that as a captain in the Charleston fire department, you are held to a higher standard. And that was my moment, my decision-making process of do I just loud and blast everybody out or do I keep my mouth shut and just say yes and take ownership of, of what I did. And, I'd like to think I took the higher road. I said, yes, I agree. And I took the lashing.
0: <laughs> and
1: The lawyers were very good. They actually brought up, uh, you know, my, my very minuscule MMA and Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu background and said that I'm violent in nature because that's what I did. And like, it, it was very, very hard to go through. I literally walked out of there feeling like an absolute worthless human being in a piece of shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't deserve to wear a badge of any kind. And I went home. And of course, at that point in time, I took the termination, walked away from Charleston Fire Department, and I actually thought about leaving the fire service in general. At that point in time, my daughter was in in figure skating. My wife was working, you know, she has her own business, uh, keeping things afloat. I had to do some uh some moving of money with my retirement and stuff like that and to, just to make it work and and my wife just kind of told me like hey you need to get your shit together you need to stop feeling sorry for yourself I love you I'm here for you I will always be here for you and uh but you need we need to move on from this cuz I was pretty broken up I uh I was going to AA I was, mm-hmm. I was doing all kinds of things just to try to figure out what's going to make me better. And, and the hard part is, is, you know, of all the dumb things that I'd done in the past to my family, uh, my wife was still there with me. She's a saint. I love her. She saved my life. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had a meeting later on with a fire chief and, and let's fast forward a few years. I decided to get back in the fire service. I readjusted, refocused. I will say, god has put me where i'm supposed to be Mm -hmm. Uh, you believe it or not whatever the Mm -hmm. higher being, i believe in god god has put me right where i'm supposed to be and i am not perfect by any means in in where i'm at now but i can't imagine how i would be if i wasn't in the fire service and so and here i it's funny we laugh that i had to get fired as a captain to become a chief at another organization but um The funny thing is, the fire chief at the time here in Somerville came from Charleston Fire Department, and the ops chief came from Charleston Fire Department. They knew everything
0: about me. They knew the
1: good, the bad, and the ugly. Right. And Chief Waring sat me down, and he's like, "We're hiring you. We believe in you. Don't make me look bad." And and it was just a lift. I was working four jobs. I was I was freaking stocking shelves at Hook. I was um, I was a a teacher. What do you call it? A fill-in teacher, substitute uh-huh. teacher. Uh-huh. I was working part-time at Goose Creek Rural, full-time at another agency at Dorchester County Fire. I mean, I was hustling left and right, trying to trying to make shit happen for the family. Right. And I got pulled aside by one of the chiefs down the road. It was actually at one of my friend's funerals. It was at uh, E.J. Mascaro's funeral. I got pulled aside by a chief, and they asked how I was doing. And I said, well, all considering, I'm doing pretty good. And... They said, look, that shouldn't have happened to you. You shouldn't have been terminated. And I just kind of sat there and I'm like, well, I appreciate I appreciate what you're saying. You know, I, I wish maybe people would have fought for me a little harder at the time, but I do appreciate what you're saying and I'm glad you think that way. Um, but then I told them, I'm like, you know what's funny is nothing that happened to me professionally probably would have made me learn my lesson it was going home and telling my daughter that, Hey, we can't do as much figure skating. We can't do these lessons. We can't go out to eat as much. I can't provide for my family as much because of my poor choice. And that, that crushed me because given the background and childhood I had, I vowed I would never do that to my family. And I did. And I absolutely put them in the same position that I was put in several times as a kid. And so, uh, nothing, nothing will ever take that back. And I, I will always look at my children's face, my wife's face at my weakest moment, um, and telling them that I can't be the man that I'm supposed to be for them. So for my mental health, that's, that's kind of where it stemmed from. And I'll be honest with you. I've, I still drink at home. Like I have a beer, you know, my wife and I have a good time. I purposely keep myself out of situations, um, I don't get carried away, you know, like even at, you know, Georgia smoke diver, if we go drink or something, I don't put myself in a situation where anything bad's going to happen or any of that. So uh, I had, I did have one incident at Lake of the Ozarks where my blood sugar bottomed out and uh, that was bad. Uh, But again, I, I truly feel, you know, that was the turning moment for me that I got to stop. I got to stop. You know, I, I put my fate in Charleston fire department's hands. They made the best decision that they thought was good for me mm-hmm. and they weren't wrong. They absolutely weren't wrong. Cause I'm happier than I've ever been. I'm back to providing for my family. I work for an organization where I'm not held to a clock. I don't do half days, but what I'm saying is I live 10 minutes from my house. If something goes down at my house or if I got to get my daughter to a doctor appointment or a lesson or cheerleading, listen, as long as I'm productive and effective in my job, I don't clock out for that stuff, you know, because the chief knows the right thing to do for his people. Right. So I'm right where I'm supposed to be as far as the mental health side of me. Um, but there was also a lot of things I had to do and stop being the damn victim. Right. Right. Just cause I had a fucked up childhood doesn't give me a right to be an asshole as an adult. Um, so for my my mental health, it was just important that I realize that. And then that, that I tried to get over so much anger
0: mm-hmm. that I
1: have a good relationship with with my parents, um, despite my past. Because if I just dwell on it and stay on it, it will lead to the other things that we're facing with mental health, right? Yep. The suicide, right. the bad stuff, the alcoholism, the drugs. I'm a firm believer, man, that, that this stuff right here, this cell phone is a huge proponent on what we do. I love technology, but at the same time, we can't turn our head from it. Back in the day, later on down the road, you would hear about a line of duty. You would hear about something happening at some organization long after the fact, but we have immediate results in everything that happens in the world. So when we look at it constantly and we don't shut it off and we don't physically separate ourselves from that and unplug occasionally, that is all triggers for us in the trauma that we face. And I firmly believe that. And I love technology and I think it's a great thing, but we also got
0: to know our limits. Yeah. I, uh, first of all, I thank you for sharing that. Cause you didn't have to do that. That's, that's a hundred percent facts on that. You didn't have to do that, but I like that you shared your story and, I take some some. There's some key takeaways: is the humility, the responsibility, and to me, the 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 last important thing of overall just being an adult. We have so many people who harp and harbor over things that happened a long time ago, and it's like I get it. Like for for me, outside looking in, I understand that traumas affect people certain ways. But the longer you allow it to just keep messing with you, festering, you you never grow. You you know what? And I know you—you probably know what I'm what, what what I'm trying to say. So, I just wish we had more people that that thought that way, especially in this line of work where you know we're calling each other brothers and sisters, but we're harping over the fact that five years ago, let's just say you took my promotional spot. They promoted you over me, but I still have a certain feeling about you. And it's like, grow the fuck up. Like we're adults that as an adult, you're supposed to grow. And definitely with me having a daughter, I can't imagine me having to, to tell my daughter that like, that is, you know, I I was single and then, you know, we're only having one child, but it's amazing how when you look at your child grow, you you see them in you and it's like, man, I don't ever really want to do any bad shit where I have to tell them like she's in gymnastics. Hey, um, I screwed up at work because I was acting like an idiot and I just lost my job. And unfortunately, we have to unenroll you out of gymnastics like they're not going to understand it. But at the same time, that's something you're taking away from them. And I totally understand the sentiments now of you want to provide to your children more than you had as a child. Like I, I get that because I have a child. So, man, thank you for sharing that. hundred percent. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Absolutely. And it, it, I tell that story to our recruits, to everybody, uh, that, that we encounter with training as far as our fast track programs, even if you've got time on the job and it's, it's therapeutic for me, cause I like to let it out and I still get choked up. I, every time I tell it because I revert right back to the pain that, that I caught, I caused, I caused pain to my family and that I, I live with it every day and I spend every waking moment of the rest of my life, making it up to my wife and kids, you know, t- to never do that again because they had enough faith and unconditional love for me that they saw in me that something that I could never even see. Right. Mm-hmm. And now, now I'm, I'm living the life. I mean, yeah, I'm stressed out all the time. I'm supposed to be, I'm a training chief. I'm like the most hated <laughs> guy in the fire department, you know, but <laughs> But I'm stressed out in a good way. Right. I'm out because what we do is important, and and everything that we're doing is for a purpose. And so we we recently we did have Alex script. Uh, he he committed uh-huh. to, Yeah. And and uh, that hit our organization hard. And I, and I say it's so different, right? We had neighboring organizations around have, have suicides involved and it's, you know, we were definitely there for them, definitely supported them, uh, showed our love and care, but especially in an organization our size and when it happens at home, it is a total different feel and you have a newfound respect for, for everything. Right. And and as a chief, you don't quite know how to handle that stuff. Right. Especially what happens in your yeah, like What's the right thing to do? You know, some people, some people, they want to go home, right? That may not be the best thing. Maybe they need to hang out at the firehouse. Uh, I appreciated what our crews did. The whole crew, his entire crew, the morning they found out they stayed on shift. Um, pretty symbolic day for me. Uh, I didn't know what to do. I went home and I, I bawled my eyes out to my wife because I knew script on a personal level. He, uh, he helped us with training a lot. He, he was, he was a good dude. And, uh, I was bawling my eyes out and I'm like, I don't know what to do. I, I felt so helpless. I'm like, I can't help these guys. You know, I don't know what to do to help them. And my wife told me, she said, you need to go, you need to go to shift. You need to go ride the truck. She's like, it'll help you and it'll help them. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, you know what? You're right. So I packed my shit up. My wife sent me back into the firehouse. I went and rode the tour, the rest of the tour on the engine company with those guys that night. So they were on the ladder truck because Scrip was a tillerman, okay. and I rode the engine in the same firehouse. And we hung out all night. We just talked, we bullshitted, uh, we had as good a time as we could. And then the craziest thing happened a little after five a.m. We got a structure fire, and it was burning. A commercial structure fire it was a daycare. Nobody was there. Everybody, everybody was out. We confirmed, but um, right, right. So symbolic, because on the way there, you know, we were all saying script gave us one. Mm-hmm. Scripts there with us, and we I, to this day I have a canvas up in our training division, a big canvas that we took that night, that day, that morning after the fire, all of us still in gear with his coat. Uh, so that was that was pretty symbolic. But what it taught me more than anything was. Instead of focusing so hard, I was just racking my brain so hard on what to do, you know, as a chief. I don't know how to react as a chief because I know I'm not, I'm not the same as the floor guys, but I need them to know that I feel it too and that I'm with them. And uh, it was just a great lesson for me that sometimes you don't have to say shit. Just go and be there. And all I did was simply ride the truck as a backstep firefighter. Right. And it helped me and I think it helped them. I hope it did. So, um, and we're still recovering. We're still doing a lot we're doing a lot to memorialize him and and show our love and support for him and his family. But these issues aren't going away Mm -hmm. and this is only going to be a growing thing until we face it head on. So I know we've implemented a lot more upfront training on mental health wellness. We have, of course, our firefighter assistance team down here that stemmed from the Charleston nine. Uh, they've expanded and they've, done so much for even me personally, our marriage, uh, and everything they do financial help. So I think we're teaching a lot more about life skills and handling things in our recruit school as well, uh, to kind of try to head that off and we can't prevent it. I know that, but we need to open our eyes. We talk about data. There's way more suicides, than other line of duty deaths, and we need to fucking open our eyes.
0: No, I agree. I agree. And I like how, you know, your wife was like, just, just go to the firehouse because, you know, anytime chiefs are, are, are put on the spot of, okay, we had example A, B and C occurred that are tragic. First thing that comes to mind, I'm sure is, okay, we need to get uh, counselors and clergy and to, to come talk to the guys. No, I took a. North Carolina peer support class with Dean Ali in uh, Wilmington not too long ago, and it was one of those things where I think chiefs just need to let the men and women who worked at it, let them figure it out, because I'm going to be honest, I'm not going to want some, I'm not going to want, and no offense to the, to the church, but I'm not going to want to divulge my feelings to a pastor, because you don't really know what we're, we're, we're going to, and and I get it. It's a, the chiefs are trying to do something positive, but it's, it's a knee jerk reaction. That's not going to go well. Sometimes you just, instead of, okay, something bad happened. All right. Take all the guys off the trucks. Uh, we're shutting this station down. No. How about, all right, let's maybe take them out of service for an hour. Let them talk, let them figure out what they want to do as a, as a cohesive group, because sometimes the best thing you could do is just let them ride that truck. Yep. You know, let them do their job and 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 then at the end after a couple of days see what's going on. But I mean, kudos to your wife for cuz that's something that's something you needed to do. And like you, I'm not a big church person. I 100% agree that there is a God because of all the shit that we've seen, people that should have been deceased that aren't uh think uh trying to work a person back in like we see it all so i oh, yeah. definitely believe in a higher power i just i'm just not a big church goer i've had some bad experiences won't really talk about it but like you i believe that there's a god and to me everything happens for a reason i'm a firm believer of that 100% like your situation happened you and it led you to a different path it's not what you wanted but Ultimately, our lives aren't what we want. We can control it to a certain extent, but we're going to be given different, my belief, different avenues, different pathways that's going to go, hey, you can take this road or you can take this road. So at the end of the day, like I said, I, I believe everything happens for a reason. You are where you're supposed to be. You're on this platform shelling out this information to somebody who might need to hear it. So Thank you, Chris. Sincere, thank you. No, thank you.
1: It's an honor. I've been I've been listening to your podcast since since you started doing it. I'm a couple behind right now. I know you just had a couple recent one one guy from Canada and yeah, uh, yeah. I believe the one before that as well. Uh, so, but I do try to keep up as much as I can, and I just love that you're hearing. Sometimes it is the same information, but what I love hearing is that it's information f- all the way from a. a tailboard individual that maybe nobody's heard of before all the way up to the most well-known person in the fire service. Right? right. So like that just is proof in the pudding that the message is out and we are all here for the same reason, no matter exactly. who we are. And I love that. And it's a, it's a privilege and an honor for you to allow me to be a part of this. Um, because again, I know I'm, I'm, I'm not, a, I'm not a well-known name. I'm, I'm a no-name guy, but I thank you for, for giving me the therapeutic session of an hour, hour and a half to say my opinion and, and to hope that it does reach somebody that needs to hear that what we're doing is good, what we're doing is important and what we're doing matters.
0: No, absolutely. 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 And spoiler alert to the listeners. I met Chris down in Tennessee for the Jamichael Muller training and he was walking around with a, with a white helmet. And I was like, are you a chief? He's like, yeah, I'm a training chief in my department. And I'm like, a training chief that's coming to training, like holy shit! Like, the, like to <laughs> me, that was awesome because it's like I don't, you don't see very many. It's always firemen, captains, but you never really see a white helmet come to these training events. And you're like, yeah, I'm just here to get better, like you. And I was like, and then I had a couple other people, like, hey, that guy right there, you need to talk to him. He's good. So, <laughs> so whether they want to admit it to you or not, I had some of your counterparts were like, that guy, you, you need to talk to him. So yeah, don't ever tell me that. (laughs) (laughs) But no, I I sincerely thank you for taking your time out to 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 talk shop with me, Chris. Man, Uh, Chief, it's been great. Really, thank you very much.
1: Thank you, man. Enjoy the rest of your holiday weekend.
0: Yes, sir. You do. If any of the listeners out there are or know of a great firefighter who embodies the principles of being a great communicator, goal-oriented, hardworking, humble, passionate and professional, regardless of rank, career, or volunteer, contact me at studentofthegamefirepodcast@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Until next time, stay focused, stay committed, and stay safe.